together. If, uh, if you have your Bible with you or if you uh, need to use the, the Bible in the pew in front of you, uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 this morning. Uh, we're, we're continuing where Pastor Ryan left off last week um, in this letter to the Thessalonian church from the Apostle Paul. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 which I should have opened up to when I asked you to do. All right, this is the word of the Lord. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As Pastor Brian prayed already, Uh, Lord, I ask that you would open all of our hearts to to receive what you would uh, show us about yourself today. Help us to be um, changed and shaped and uh, and moved by your word and uh, and fill up in our hearts what is lacking in our faith, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, as I mentioned before, I now have four kids. My kids are all fairly young. I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and now a one-month-old baby. He'll be, yeah, he'll be five weeks tomorrow. So as exhausted as Amy and I am, uh, are, as Amy and I are, Amy and I am, as we are exhausted, we have not yet experienced the, uh, the sending off of our kids to, to college. Um, but I've been involved in youth ministry now for, since I was in college. Um, and so for the past 16 years, I've watched year after year as mom and dads uh, drop off their, their new college freshman son or daughter at school and return home uh, where, they will know, where they know that their child no longer resides. For, for many of you, that's this season right now. This might be a little raw. And aside from the the painful reality of of missing their presence, many parents wrestle with with worry and doubts about whether their beloved child will remember what they've been taught, right? Whether or not they'll make wise decisions and stay safe. They may start to remember things that that they still needed to teach their kids, that they, they let slip, and they hope that, that they figure out these lessons before, before it's a, a, an issue. Sometimes parents just want to be able to tell their college kids that they love them and to, to be able to hear it back. 
It's, it's a harder season for some parents than others, but it's, it's hard for everybody. And it doesn't help that 18 to 22-year-olds are notoriously bad at keeping in touch with moms and dads uh, when they're away. But when that phone call does come in or the text message, the, the text notification goes off, nothing else in the entire world matters, right? Mom and dad joyfully answer, hoping to hear good news uh, from their baby boy or girl. I think Paul seems to have had a similar relationship with the church of Thessalonica. <clears throat> the apostle, by the grace and power of God, had planted a church there in that city in Macedonia, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, making disciples among the Thessalonian people. Paul had been forced out of the city and was presently at, at Corinth after having made a few other stops to, to proclaim Christ in Macedonia. And news had come to Paul that the church was experiencing many various afflictions and persecutions, and Paul knew that since he was forced to leave early there, there was a great deal of discipleship that, had still, that he still had to, to do, that still had to be done among the people before the church had men and, and women who were mature enough leaders to, to, to lead the church and to make those disciple-making disciples. Paul wanted to go back, but he had run into some barriers that prevented him from doing so. And so he did the next best thing in sending his protege, Timothy. If we go back uh, to the the final two verses that Pastor Ryan preached last week, verses four and five of 1 Thessalonians chapter three, it says, this is Paul speaking, he says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so the one he sent was Timothy. And that's what brings us back to our present passage this morning. See, Paul knew that the church in Thessalonica was suffering. He knew that they, they still needed to be taught a lot about the way of Christ, but he was separated from them. How had they fared? What was the news from Thessalonica? How would they do until he was able to get there? Separation makes discipleship difficult, near impossible. Anxiety rises when, when we know loved ones are in the midst of distress and affliction. Where is our hope when we are isolated and afflicted? The Apostle Paul's words to the Thessalonians in this morning's passage will show us how God preserves his people as he sanctifies them over time and and the encouragement that it brings when we see him doing so. So let's get back into the text as we look at at Paul's hope and joy. In verse six, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you and we'll pick up in a moment. 
Timothy returns to Paul and company weeks, maybe even months after he'd been sent out, and he brings a good report. Paul uses the phrase, good news, about the church of Thessalonica. Paul's wording here is, is beautiful, and it's purposeful. The Thessalonians knew Paul as the one who had brought the good news to them. Good news of the creator God who had sent his son into the world as a flesh and blood human being who laid his life down, his sinless life down, dying as a substitute for each and every soul who would turn to him in faith and rising again from the dead for their righteousness, saving those who had sinned against God as a gift of grace through faith alone. Good news, the gospel Paul says that Timothy has now come to him from there with good news. The Thessalonians are holding on to their faith. They are afflicted, but they remain steadfast. They are actively displaying their love for one another, laying down their lives for one another, caring for the needs that arise within the community of believers. Paul must have worried that his absence from the Thessalonians would have resulted in some resentment. In one of Paul's later epistles, he addresses this very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The apostle had promised the Corinthian church that he would visit them, but then his plans changed, circumstances caused a, a change of, of direction. And then some Corinthians began to say that Paul was, was vacillating, which was apparently a big insult back then, right? He was, he was waffling. If he was a politician, right, he, they'd have called him a flip-flopper, right? Paul's, Paul's waffling. He says he wants to visit us, but I'm not so sure. And then Paul defends himself at length against these charges because it's hard when a, when a leader's uh, love for his people is questioned. questioned. But the Thessalonians had no such feelings of resentment. Timothy reports that they remember us kindly and they long to see us. And the feeling is mutual. The encouragement that results from this news for Paul and his, and his companions cannot be overstated. Let's continue. Verses seven and eight it says, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. <clears throat> Paul's missionary journey had not been an easy one. They'd been beaten and imprisoned, slandered, kicked out of, of towns like Thessalonica and Philippi and Athens. Their proclamation of the crucified and risen Jesus was scandalous to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And Paul uses the words distress and affliction to describe not only how he felt, but the, the, the nature of the troubles that they encountered. And the news that the Thessalonian believers have held onto the gospel in the midst of all of this time and distance, they'd remained a church that's just the encouragement that they needed. Paul speaks metaphorically and hyperbolically here in, in verse 8 when he says, for now we live, right? Now, obviously, Paul and his companions had not perished under their, their difficult labor. 
nor is Paul implying that their lives are somehow dependent uh, on the, the Thessalonians' endurance in the faith. Over the past few chapters, Paul has been expressing uh, the, um, excuse me, Paul has been expressing the great difficulty that they've been facing in their travels through Macedonia. And they have, they've been worn out and that's taken its toll on their mental and emotional health state. And then the good news of, of the preserving faith, the persevering faith of the Thessalonians, it, it, it's like it brings a, a resurrection of, of a vitality, right? It's, it's, it means that their, their work hasn't been in vain. These, these efforts that they've put in, these hardships that they've endured, God hasn't wasted a single moment of them. They live. Their ministry has been validated. Behold, the fruits of our labor. Where there's fruit, there is life. And, and this is an encouragement to Paul. Pastoral ministry is, is hard. Missionary work is taxing work. And many pastors and missionaries around the world, especially now in this present global pandemic, <clears throat> have found out just how painful it is for pastors to be separated from their flock. In, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus saw the crowd of the Galileans, right? And he, and he noted their anxiety uh, their distress as being like sheep without a shepherd. But for faithful elders, it's equally troubling to be shepherds without their sheep. This is especially true for, in Paul's instance, when the shepherd knows that his sheep are being persecuted and they themselves are discouraged through distress and affliction. The effect of Timothy's report would have been for Paul like the words of King Solomon in, in Proverbs 25, 25, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Wrapped up in this hyperbolic statement is, is also a hidden exhortation to the Thessalonian church. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul, having been encouraged by the church's faith, now encourages them to, to keep standing fast in Christ Jesus. As you endure the hardships of, of this fallen life, right, of life in a fallen world, Christ likewise calls you to stand fast in your faith, to be constant in your, in your faith. When you encounter trials and painful circumstances, God makes us more stable in our faith, especially as we walk through them together. So we cling to the faithful love and power of Christ. And we encourage one another to stand in that love and power, even if we have to hold them up on their feet. Our faithfulness to God's word is an immeasurable encouragement to our pastors and ministry leaders. Encourage your ministry leaders and pastors and, and I say that knowing that you, you do. I, I've experienced that. Don't stop. Show and tell the fruit of God's word in your life. Not just, not, not just because that's what Christians do, but, but 
with the purpose of, of encouraging one another and, and those who have invested in you. It's beautiful to see the, the work of God in the lives of the people that you love. This isn't just for pastors and missionaries. It's a principle for everyone. My students hear me ask them every week during our prayer request time in, in small groups, right? I, I don't just ask for prayer requests, but I always, I always say, do we have any prayers, praises, or anybody from the youth group in here? No? Testimonies of God's grace. Prayers, praises, testimonies of God's grace. Because we need to hear about how God is blessing one another and, and how God is sustaining our faith in good and bad times. We, we need to testify to one another. Uh, verse nine. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul's joy overflows in a rhetorical question to his original audience. How can we adequately express our gratitude to God for you? There is such joy in Paul's words and indeed his heart as he considers Timothy's good news. I, I hope you can relate to the joy of beholding the, the preserving and sanctifying work of God in the lives of fellow believers. This is why God has put us together. Over and over again, Paul and other church leaders point to, to those Christians, right? To, to those Christians who are faithful to God and, and that is a source of, of, of our joy, of their joy. Whether you're a pastor or a ministry leader, a small group leader, or a parent, when those in whom you've invested spiritual leadership bear the fruit of faith, our hearts overflow with joy and gratitude. The, the, the literal translation of this verse is, is even more emphatic. Paul literally says, uh, how can we express all the joy with which we rejoice? All the joy with which we rejoice. It's, it's a little redundant, but there's, there's an emphasis there. His heart rejoices because of them. When we tell one another stories of God's faithfulness in our lives, it can have a, a powerful effect on the faith and the worship of other Christians. So let us resolve to minister to one another by sharing our testimony, but also by, by talking freely about our blessings with others. Not, not in a boasting and braggadocious way, but, but as, a, as a way of honoring God among one another. This means you'll, you'll have to not just be here, but, but be known here. Get, get to know people here. Allow yourself to be cared for as you care about other people to the degree that news of their spiritual flourishing and God's blessings and testimonies of their growth in godliness are things that you personally rejoice in. Love one another. And finally, we, we see yet another effect of, of Timothy's report on, his, on the apostle and his crew. It reignites the intense desire to come and finish their work among the Thessalonians. Verse 10 says, 
uh, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul gives us a peek at his prayer life in this time uh, of his life. He prays earnestly, night and day, for the estranged church. He longs to be reunited with his flock. He wants to see them face to face. They were never just a church planting project for Paul. He wasn't a fly-by-night preacher tossing out seeds of the gospel and then never looking back. Paul left Thessalonica because he had to, but he didn't mentally check out and forget about that church. They were his friends. They were his people. And he prays for them. He wants to be there with them. He wanted to be there with them so badly that he sent Timothy to go by proxy to check on them for him. Paul doesn't just want to visit with old friends. His prayer here is is for them to be reunited so that he can supply what is lacking in their faith. That phrase deserves a closer look, right? Take, Take note. Earlier in our passage, Paul has already expressed joyful gratitude over Timothy's news that the Thessalonians have faith and love. It's right there in verse six, right? The Thessalonians had faith. They had enduring faith. They had an abiding faith. They had saving faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. So what is lacking? What does it mean to have something lacking in our faith? And how does a believing, redeemed, faithful Christian receive this supply that he longs, that Paul longs to bring to the Thessalonians? For help, uh, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where the, the author of Hebrews writes, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So the Thessalonians have assurance of things that they hope for. Things like eternal life in Christ, his second coming, the indwelling Holy Spirit. These are things that they hope for. They have conviction of things not seen. They didn't see the risen Jesus They don't see him now sitting at the right hand of the Father in glory. They they have to trust. You can't see forgiveness of sins between you and God, but you can can hold on to that conviction, right? There are a ton of things that Christians hope for, right? And and there are a lot of realities and truths that we can't see. Can you name them all? Me neither, right? That's, I mean, I'd, if we'd, we'd be here for the end of days, right? Trying to name all of the things that God has, has given to us. And that's the point, right? There are things in this Bible that I've read and forgotten. Don't tell Pastor Ryan. There are, there are things that I have read and missed. I've, I've, I've read this Bible over and over again, and every time I read it, there's more things that jump out to me that I, I may have missed the last time. 
there are things that, that I recognize I, that are probably culturally hidden from me, that I need teachers and commentaries and pastors and elders and Bible study leaders, small group te- leaders, to, to help me learn. 36-year-old Bible college uh, graduate, 12 years, give or take, in ministry, and I still have room to grow. I still have things lacking in my faith. And that's one of the the amazing things about the Christian walk, because we are saved by faith in the gospel from the moment that we have faith. God has given us a new heart. He's regenerated us. He's adopted us as sons. He makes us holy by the merits of Christ's holiness. He's holy. We're wrapped up in him. Ergo, we are holy. But the beautiful thing is that we continue to grow in our faith as we come to know the promises of God, which we hope for, and we become more convinced, more convicted of the things that are unseen, those truths that we learn about God over time. God has repeated, or he has revealed himself progressively over time to the world that he created. He did that through progressive revelation. Genesis was written thousands of years before revelation. God progressively revealed himself to us and he, he progressively reveals himself to us personally. I, I know more now, thank God, than I did when I was seven and, and was baptized in, in the name of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but, but I still have a lot more to learn. So, Paul had to leave the Thessalonian church in a hurry, which we read about in Acts chapter 17. He likely had a sermon or two in his back pocket that he had planned to deliver but didn't get to. Paul's objective as he planted these churches was to be able to disciple believers until he could raise up elders in the church and then leave the preaching and teaching to them. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 3.10, which we just read, Paul explains that he is praying that he can come back and help these genuine, beloved, fully redeemed Christians in the fullness, um, he wants to give them the fullness of teaching that would lead them to be able to make disciples who make disciples. He wanted to supply what was lacking in their faith, not because their faith was deficient, but because their faith was incomplete. They were saved, but they were still growing. They were still immature. And here's a gut check. The Thessalonians didn't have a New Testament, clearly, because this letter that we're actually reading right now is part of what we have now that that is called the New Testament. So they didn't have the sufficient, infallible, inerrant word of God in its completion to help them supply what was lacking in their faith. But you do. And if you don't, please take the one in the pew in front of you as our gift to you, and, and it would be our honor. But for all of us, let us make the investment of reading and studying, meditating on and practicing the Bible. Let it show you things hoped for. Let it tell you about things you can't see with your physical eyes, that you may have assurance and conviction, and that God would supply what is lacking in your faith. 
And this brings us to our second section of the passage where we see Paul's uh, blessing, his benediction, his prayer for the church. He lays out this prayer for the Thessalonians, which serves as, as a transition uh, between the first half of, of 1 Thessalonians and the second half of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 11, he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Paul, his, his first petition is once again to pray for God's sovereign hand to lead him back to the church in Thessalonica. Paul directs his prayer to, uh, to both God the Father and to the Lord Jesus, which underscores the deity of Christ. Jesus is God. He is God the Son incarnate. And that's the only reason that it is good and proper to address our prayer to him alongside the Father. We realize that there is no salvation in Christ if Christ is not the eternal creator God. The apostle asks God to direct their way. He's saying, help us get back to these brothers and sisters without any detours, without any roadblocks or potholes. It, that, that direct our paths line should, should ring a bell if, you, if you've been a student of the Bible for any time. It, maybe it, it re- makes you remember Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, which says, uh, acknowledge the Lord, acknowledge him in all our ways, and he will make straight or direct our paths. Or, or think back to the call of John the Baptist in the desert, right? To prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Direct his paths. Paul is ready to go. He's ready to go. And he prays to that end. And finally, verses 12, 12 and 13. Paul's prayer continues. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Paul finishes his prayer here with a petition for the people of God in Thessalonica to grow in their love, to grow in their brotherly love for one another. Once again, remember, Paul has commended them already and rejoiced over their brotherly love uh, that, that Timothy has reported uh, from the Thessalonian, Thessalonian church. But Paul prays intently, may the Lord Jesus infuse the church with a, a superabundance of love. He wants them to love one another. As, as Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Right, not, not argue with one another on Facebook, but if you love one another, that's how people will know that we are followers of Jesus. Love defines the relationship between members of the Christian community. This is who we are. By the way, I, I didn't aim that Facebook comment at any one of you. For, for those of you who know, I'd get myself into trouble on, on Facebook all the time. So I've been preaching to myself. But now, now Paul here also prays for them to have an abounding love for all people. He, he makes a distinction, right? There's, there's praying for one another, the church, and then there's praying for all. And that's those outside of the church. There's love for, for all, that is, outside the church. 
The church of Jesus Christ will be known by the love which radiates from us. And this is because we have been loved even when we were not a people. God has shown his love for us in that while we, are, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we love one another and we love those who aren't here yet. Now, Paul also prays for them to have an abounding love for, sorry, I just, I just jumped back. Notice that the abundant love that Paul prays for, for the church to have for all, he prays that it would have an effect on the Christians. It's not just a, 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 like a, a feeling and a kind of a, a happy, soupy like love, right? This is a love that, that God may establish in their hearts and that it would lead to, to blamelessness, right? That it would, it would establish them blameless in holiness before God. The, the establishing of, of of a believer's blamelessness is the fruit of their love for one another and for everyone else. The practice of Christian love contributes to our holiness. We cannot be holy before God while simultaneously neglecting to seek and work for the good of others. As we lay down our goods and our time and our lives in the service of all people, it, it is part of that sanctifying process of helping us to grow in holiness in our hearts. Holiness is that, that state of being distinguished. It's set apart, separated from what is common and unholy and worldly. Right? God is holy. Uh, the, the angels say that he's holy, holy, holy. Right? He's three times holy. Right? He is, there's no one like him. There's nothing in all of creation that is, that is like our God. And because we are his, he makes us holy. But in our fallen world, in our fallen bodies, and in the presence of temptations and tempters, we are inconsistent in our holiness. Paul is praying for God to increase our holiness as he establishes our hearts blameless before him partly through our love. Here, here's the point. These three petitions of Paul here in, in verses 11 through 13, for a reunion, for abounding love, for a progression in holiness, all of these are rightly recognized by Paul as being provided to him, to us, by God. That's why Paul's praying for it. Our ongoing growth in holiness is called, in theological terms, progressive sanctification. Jesus is the one who can infuse his people with love. God is the one who causes us to grow in holiness. These prayers display our dependence on God for all blessings. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Paul can't even go to Thessalonica on his own. I mean, he, he prays for God to miraculously step into a world and direct his way to the Thessalonians. He prays for a miracle to affect the hearts of people, to make them love what they previously weren't capable of loving. He prays for a people who were once condemned sinners to gradually become holy to the point of blamelessness until the day of Christ's return with all of his saints. Saints being a, a Greek word for holy ones. If you're like me, 
you know the despair of thinking that your growth in discipleship depends on you. It's a hard religion to try to make yourself holy before a holy God. It's exhausting. It's fruitless. It's depressing. But in Christ, our progression in faith, as God supplies what is lacking in it through his word, our progression in sanctification, that that putting off of sin and putting on Christ, these are all gifts of God's grace. He's given them to you. You haven't earned them. They're ours through faith in Christ Jesus. You can't make yourself holy You can't make yourself love what you don't already love and you can't even get yourself to the other side of town apart from the sovereign grace and power of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So in your trials and afflictions, cling to the promises of God to finish what he has started in you. Just as Paul wrote to the the church in Philippi, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So what? We have hope in Christ because God is faithful to preserve his people and to sanctify his people gradually until the Lord returns. Like a parent deprived of her adult children, an afflicted Paul was burdened for these Thessalonians not knowing whether his work among them was fruitful in their own afflictions and desiring to finish the work of discipleship. I wonder if he, he prayed the, the Psalm, Psalm 121, where does my help come from? The psalmist once mused, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God comforts Paul with the good news from Timothy that the Thessalonian church has maintained its faith and love for one another and for them. It is God who has sustained the Thessalonians in Paul's absence, and it is the sovereign Lord who can answer the prayers of Paul to reunite them to his church and sanctify them gradually until the the Lord returns. Nansman River, we too have this hope because Jesus is faithful, and his redemption is, is a done deal. Christians who are separated from one another and afflicted by various trials and are enduring persecution will persevere in their faith and we can rest in the hope of God's faithfulness to us to help us to sustain our spiritual lives, to teach us to put off sin and put off Christ in this world. And because Jesus is the Lord of our lives and our hearts, he can make us increase in love and holiness. He will keep doing this until there's nothing lacking in our faith, nothing lacking in our, our hope, nothing lacking in our love at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, come soon. Lord, Complete in us what is lacking in our faith. Give us peace and rest as we recognize 
that, that trying to work for our, our salvation, work for our sanctification is an exhausting task, a lonely task. We pray for those Christians who are separated from, uh, from the church right now. We pray, Lord, that, that you would help uh, build up your church in those areas where Christians are alone. We need one another. We need to, to be um, together. And we need you, Lord, to preserve us in our faith. And pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.